Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, September 21st. This is your FT News Briefing. The UK is preparing for a tough autumn and winter when it comes to COVID-19. The European Central Bank will review its main pandemic crisis fighting tool, and the Trump administration signs off on the deal to get TikTok in the U.S. Plus, what does a poisoned Russian activist have to do with the future of a European gas pipeline? More than you might think. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Like a lot of places around the world, the UK is bracing itself for a second wave of coronavirus cases this winter. Government scientists released a report last week. It estimated new COVID-19 infections were growing by between 2 and 7% each day across the United Kingdom. The FT's political editor, George Parker, is with me now to explain what the UK government is planning in response. George, what's going on? The scientific advice going into 10 Downing Street now is what one official said to me is extremely pessimistic. And as a consequence, we're now sort of having a sort of time to turn on a sixpence, really. And the government now is preparing for a whole load of quite onerous restrictions on the way we live our lives. Not quite as the same as the ones back in March when the lockdown was introduced. But nevertheless, the government is looking now to much more uh, intensive local lockdowns and is considering the possibility of new national restrictions as well. And as a result of that, the economic impact, of course, is going to be quite significant. So, George, is the government planning any type of financial support in response? Well, the first sign of this, uh, as we're reporting in the Financial Times overnight, is that the government's planning to extend a series of emergency loans that it's made, made available to businesses, small and large, to help them deal with the coronavirus outbreak. These are government-backed loans. And the loan scheme was supposed to be wound up really by the end of September and for one scheme at the beginning of November. But there's a recognition now in the UK Treasury that more national support is going to have to be given to businesses to help them through what will be a very challenging autumn. And the big decision is coming down the track for the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, who has a furlough scheme, a job furlough scheme, job retention scheme, which expires at the end of October. He's now under huge pressure to find a way of extending that to avoid prospect of a very large spike in unemployment later in the autumn. So, George, how do people within Boris Johnson's own party feel about how the way the prime minister has handled the coronavirus crisis? There's now a growing sense of frustration among many Conservative MPs that the way that Boris Johnson is now responding to the latest spike in coronavirus is unconservative. In other words, there's a libertarian wing of the Conservative Party that doesn't like all this stuff about restrictions on social movement. It doesn't like the idea of £10,000 fines for people who break the rules and generally a lot of frustration. And there's a sort of sign of a rebellion looming where a number of Conservative MPs are saying that they want to basically have a vote every time Boris Johnson comes up with a new plan to try to control the virus, a vote on each individual measure. Now, that's something that Boris Johnson will try to resist. But nevertheless, it's a sign of the frustration in the parliamentary party about the way this whole crisis is being handled by number 10. George Parker is the FT's political editor. Thank you, George. It's a pleasure. Remember how proactive the European Central Bank was at the beginning of the pandemic? It signed off on a bond-buying scheme that ended up being worth more than 1.3 trillion euros. Well, now the ECB is reviewing this main pandemic crisis fighting tool. Some of the questions the Central Bank will consider, how long the pandemic emergency purchase program should continue, and whether some of its extra flexibility should go to the ECB's longer-running asset purchase schemes. 
There's been some intense debates lately on whether the ECB should wind down its bond buying programs or whether they should ramp them up. The ECB didn't comment on the review, but it's expected the council will discuss it in October. And now a few updates on Donald Trump and the tech sector. By now, you've probably heard that the U.S. president signed off on Oracle's partnership with China's ByteDance. It would allow TikTok to continue operating in the U.S. But Trump also says the companies would finance a $5 billion patriotic education fund. The history of the U.S. has been a hot topic for the president over the past few days. He says school's curriculum focuses too much on making American students feel ashamed of their country's history. The left has warped, distorted, and defiled the American story with deceptions, falsehoods, and lies. ByteDance, Oracle, and Walmart are all part of this deal and agreed to create an initiative after Mr. Trump's last-minute request. But sources told the FT the groups haven't had any discussions about a $5 billion commitment, or any other amount for that matter. Meanwhile, Mr. Trump's attempt to curb the use of Tencent's WeChat hit a roadblock on Sunday. A judge in California temporarily blocked the U.S. Commerce Department's ban just hours before it was supposed to go into effect. The judge's injunction was based on freedom of speech arguments. And here's a story you should know more about. Nord Stream is the longest subsea pipeline in the world. It's built to take natural gas from Russia to Germany. A second pipeline along the same route was on track for completion later this year. But political problems have disrupted the progress. Washington critics see it as a project that will deepen Europe's energy reliance on the Kremlin. In Eastern Europe, there are concerns it will divert revenues from Ukraine's rival pipeline that carries Russian gas to Europe. Now, the poisoning of Russian opposition activist Alexei Navalny has intensified calls for EU governments to find a way to prevent it from being finished. Derek Brower, who covers energy for the FT and has actually lived in Russia, is here with me now. Derek, you've been following this project for a long time. Tell us a bit about the companies that are backing it. Well, the main companies that are backing it are, of course, Gazprom, which is the state-controlled gas export monopoly from Russia. And Gazprom is the developer of this big pipeline. And it's backed by some companies, including Shell and Angie and and Vintas in Germany, who have lent it money and want to see their money come back when gas starts flowing through this big pipeline to Germany and the gas is sold on to consumers in Germany and elsewhere in Europe. So it's backed by some of the biggest names in global energy. Now, I I had mentioned Mr. Navalny earlier, who was poisoned with the Soviet-developed military nerve agent Novichok. And before that, Washington had already imposed a series of sanctions to try and halt Nord Stream 2. How damaging were these sanctions? They were damaging enough to stop progress on the pipeline. And there's about 80 kilometers left to be developed to this pipeline, just the final link into Germany. So these uh, sanctions were enough to scare off some of the companies that were involved in laying the pipe. And they're a concern for anybody who is connected with finishing the construction. They haven't deterred these big companies from sticking by the project. Events with uh, Mr. Navalny up the ante quite a lot, especially for the EU and Germany. But at the moment, the companies are not abandoning the project, even though these sanctions have been strong enough to stop construction so far. Yeah, you mentioned Germany, and Chancellor Angela Merkel has up until now been the pipeline's most important European backer. What are Germany's options if it wishes to back out now? 
Well, it's pretty complex for Germany, actually, because there are other companies depending on Nord Stream 2 happening. So it would be complex and there would be legal challenges for Germany if it backed out now. Where will this leave the companies involved and their investments in Nord Stream 2? They've lent almost 10 billion euros to this project. So if Nord Stream 2 doesn't happen, they're going to be asking Gazprom, which is also on the hook for this money to be paid back. And that will probably involve a rather testy negotiation with Gazprom. So Derek, does Europe actually need this gas, given that demand in the COVID-19 era has slumped dramatically? Well, that's the real irony of this whole thing, is that there's this huge political dispute about a pipeline that Europe probably doesn't even really need. European demand for natural gas is much lower than it was even 10 years ago, and it's probably going to keep falling. It's certainly lower than it was last year because of COVID. And then on the supply side, Europe has tons of options. If this pipeline is somehow blocked or the sanctions are imposed that mean it's empty indefinitely or never gets completed, Russia can just supply that same volume of gas through an existing network in Ukraine. It doesn't want to do that, and that's why it built these pipelines in the first place, but it could. So getting back to the poisoning of Mr. Navalny, what are the chances that this pipeline gets blocked considering the reaction from people about this poisoning? Will will it get blocked? Difficult to say, but I think the only way to block it really is sanctions because denying it a permit or something isn't going to happen. Europe's already approved it. The Danes have approved it. Everybody who needed to approve this project going through its maritime waters has approved it. So it's going to be built, provided Gazprom can find a way to lay those last 80 kilometers worth of pipe. So to stop it really would involve some kind of much bigger thing, which would be sanctions. And that's where the international politics come into it. Derek Brower covers energy for the FT. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Mark. And one more thing before we go. President Trump is expected to announce his replacement for U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg this week. Ms. Ginsburg died last week at the age of 87 and was one of the court's more liberal judges. Democrats say that the Senate shouldn't vote on the successor until after the presidential election. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.